I'm Mike. And I'm Adam. And this is Stuff and Waffle. Two friends talking about stuff, and often as not, waffling with frequent reference to Bond cars. Right, here's a fun one. I was having to think the other day what poster cars you had as a kid. Oh, good subject. What was on your wall and what age were you at the time? Well, ooh, that's that's a that's a toughie. I do remember at one point there was there was there was certainly a General Lee uh, hanging somewhere uh, with the um, corresponding um, Plymouth Fury um, police car, of course, obviously chasing along behind. Um, I also remember a collage involving a Triumph stag, but I'm not quite sure. That's not your standard what, bedroom wall I'm not fodder. Sure where that came from? No. No. What? And of course, later on, there, there was a, an unhealthy number of DeLorean pictures. Well, let's be Standard honest, there practice. still is. There still is. <laughs> <laughs> I just not allowed them in the bedroom anymore. Now they're they're in the office. Um, but I'm looking at a, a massive six foot wide one just above my desk now. Very but, good. Um, yes, uh, yes, the DeLorean did feature very, very heavily. But what would have? Uh, I honestly, um, honestly can't remember that I had any uh, any big car posters. But my father, being a motoring journalist for a while, um, used to bring home a huge amount of manufacturers' brochures and mm. marketing materials. I mean, there would have been some posters in amongst all of that lot. Um, I do distinctly remember pictures uh, and proper press pictures as well, the glossy printed, mm, yeah, yeah. you know, proper press proper release photographs, pictures. really. Yeah. yeah, proper manufacturer's photographs. There was a lot of those on my wall, actually, more of those than posters. I think that's, and, and the, but, but it wasn't always exotic stuff. Um, mm. I remember there being a lot of Sierras. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I do have a, soft a lot of Sierras. Sierra. Yeah, because he used to do a lot of Ford stuff. Because obviously, locally, there's a big Ford dealer, um, mm. so he used to do a lot of Ford stuff. But there, were, there was other stuff as well, um, all kinds of stuff. But yeah, I remember there being there being a large amount of those glossy press photos more than posters. But that's okay. That's uh, allowed. In terms of in terms of overall, the car that featured probably more than anything else would have been the DeLorean. Yeah, it's a good choice, and um, I'm assuming we've got Doc Brown to thank for that. Ah, no. No. You were were there before that. When I first saw Back to the Future, and I've heard other people say this, even I think Matt Farrar um, of The Smoking Tire um, has said this, that when he first saw Back to the Future, he didn't realise it was a real car. I didn't know the DeLorean was a real car. I thought it was something they made up for the film. Mm. And I'm not alone in thinking that. I've heard other people say that. You know, as I say, even Matt Ferrara said that. He didn't know when he first saw the film that it was a real car. Yeah, we're, and... we're not all seeing them out on the road at that point, were we? Oh, well, quite. And yes, I never have and never will. Um, but no, I, I didn't get into the time machine until much later on. Um, okay. I discovered that it was a real car. And yeah, uh, was 
And I'm still, although I love the time machine, I'm not a massive fan of Back to the Future as a film. But I think the car is genius. But I, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't watch the film very often. Um, it's not by any means one of my favorite favorite movies. So, so you're saying it's not even top ten material? No, I don't think I would. Um, okay. I prefer the third of the three films. The third one is my favorite. I love the car. I think what you know the what they did to it. I, I you know I love the car, but. I'm not a massive fan of the films themselves. The third one, as I say, is my favourite. But no, I never had a Back to the Future poster or anything like that. Okay. I discovered no. the car. I discovered the car later on and was far more interested in the car and the story behind it. But it's quite fascinating, really, isn't it? Than it's used in the film. It is, it is a fascinating story. And it's one that keeps getting retold over and over again. I mean, there was a new BBC documentary about it a couple of weeks ago. You know, people still do seem very interested in just what? What went on there? Yeah. What what happened there then? It's it, it's a popular topic. No, it, it's quite a captivating one, and like you say, it it's gonna they'll keep retelling it. Car I car lovers so. of of generations to come will still know all about it. Yeah, I think so. It's a subject that people, and of course, a lot of the people involved in it are still around and still telling their story. It wasn't that long ago. No, um, not really. No. No, and I know I'm not anymore. I was a member of the owners' club for a while, and I still have a lot of people that I, you know, talk to on social media who who are owners. And there's a, there's two or three floating around on Facebook who uh, who worked at the factory. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know they're they're very interesting people. But yeah, yeah, the story of you know was he was he a genius? Was he a criminal? Was he you know just unlucky? You know what what really went on there? <laughs> You know, what was wrong with the car? No, I don't um, know. I think I, all of those words you used to describe them, I think probably a bit of all of that. A bit of all of them, yeah. Mm. Yeah, a lot of mistakes made, shall we say, yeah, <laughs> in many yeah, places. Yeah. Um, but not not all on his part, um, particularly the uh, the FBI moment. You think, well, that was not good, was it? No, that was not good. And, you know, he was um, acquitted. You know, the judge mm. didn't believe any of it. At the end of the day, the company collapsed because the boss was caught doing something he shouldn't have been doing, and I think he was doing it out of sheer desperation to try and save his company. And that's you know, that I was can, it. I can appreciate that. Hmm. Um, um, as that, I think one of the taglines on the trailer for the the film that came out last year about it, not driven, the latest one, but there was a, there was a movie last year. I forget what it was called, what and they mean? said, you know, how how far would you go? to save your dream. Uh, and I think, you know, that was the end of it. He was just desperate to, to try and save his car and save his company. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be admired for that. Yeah, I think so. But, um, yeah, if we're talking ultimate poster car, uh, for me, I think it would, yeah, it would be the DeLorean. Well, it, it, it does everything in the visuals, doesn't it? So there you go. Exactly. It it is it is far better as a photograph than it is as a car. <laughs> I don't think anybody would argue with that. No, this is true. No, that's it, it. It is the perfect poster car, really, isn't it? It is, as so many of them are. I mean, you know, Lamborghini Countach is the classic poster car. It's not actually a particularly brilliant car. No, um, no, this is true. 
I think even people who own them and are very enthusiastic about them would say, well, yeah, it's not perfect. <laughs> not by no, a long way. It. You're not going shopping in it. No, uh, I mean, no. James May did try once, didn't he, with Harry's? Um, in I oh, think yes. that was that in was that in his Cars of the People series? I think it might have been. Uh, um, entirely possible. He took he I took can't... Harry's Lambo for a drive into this little tiny little town, and it was a nightmare. <laughs> braver man than me the last thing i yeah. want to do is take someone else's exotic car that's someone else's pain in the ass to maneuver someone else's exotic car that's worth several hundred thousand pounds yes. but again that's the classic poster car but it's not actually a very good car mm. um but that's not what makes a good poster car is it so no no that's it's meant to captivate a, a small person's brain mm, absolutely that's that's all it needs to do. So what was yours then? Don't tell me it's a Volvo estate. Uh, <laughs> no. Although I'd I be did... impressed if it was, to be fair. In fairness, there were, at one point there was the uh, 850R touring car on the wall. Oh, yeah. Well, fair dues. So te- yeah, technically there was a Volvo estate on the wall <laughs> on at the one wall. point. <laughs> Very good. Um, but in terms of poster cars, uh, I, had, I had a few before I, I sort of locked in and went, yep, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of, I, had, I had an F40 for a while up there. Uh, then Diablo. Okay, another classic, classic choice. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, Diablo. Uh, then uh, uh, also an, a, a 959. Oh. Um, very good. Yes, very okay. good. Uh, he did, and he mm. imported it to America and wasn't allowed to drive it. Oh, is that true? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that, I think the story behind it was that uh, Porsche didn't obviously didn't make a huge amount of them and wouldn't no wouldn't submit them to US crash tests, and they went ah oh, no sod that oh. so he, so he he imported it and could only drive it on private land. I think I'm, I might be you. wrong, but it does sound familiar. Yes, he probably owned could, an awful lot of land. Say, he could afford to buy quite a lot of land on which to drive. <laughs> So, mm. yes. I, he's a bit of a Porsche man, isn't he? His old ability oh, he Microsoft, because he, mm. yeah, he's had several over the years. He's chosen I well. I, he has. There was a bit of a, a bit of a bust up between him and Elon Musk recently because I think Gates said he didn't want to buy a Tesla or something, and and Elon had a go at him on Twitter. Oh so, dear, yeah. as Elon tends to do. Yeah. <laughs> It should be allowed near Twitter, really, but it, it provides I think entertainment. Got, I think, yeah, well, he does indeed. Yeah, absolutely. He's 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 done well on there. I think I read recently that um, Gates has bought a Porsche Taycan. Um, he well, wanted an that... electric car, but he said he didn't want it to be a Tesla, um, which obviously limits the feel a little bit for the sort of car that he's going to be looking for. Um, yeah. So he's gone with a Taycan. Instead, because he's a Porsche man, so well, why, why not? Indeed, he mm. he can certainly afford it. So, I think so. Yeah, I don't think yeah, he's, the cost he's is going to be too much of an issue. No. He's probably good for it. Um, yeah, I reckon. But the one, the one that superseded all of these, and I still oh give a left bollock for one. Is uh, the... <laughs> that's. that's... Prices are really rocketing for some of these exotics, aren't they? <laughs> uh, would be the Jaguar XJ220. Oh, yeah, okay. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's flawed, yeah. I know, but I, I Again, yeah. It's another car that's far from perfect and not what it was supposed to be. Mm. Um but yes, I can I can see that. Yeah. Just amazing. It it, it took me quite a few years from from seeing all the magazine hype about it and getting so excited about it. It took me years to actually see one in the flesh. I got I got so ex- so excited when I there's found one it. at Haynes. I've been to Haynes two or three times, never there when I'm there. Ah, it's been there every time I've gone. I've been like three or four times. It's, it's always been Haynes. there. I assumed it never left. <laughs> no, the last time I was there, they said, oh, no, it is here, but it's in, in the garage. It's engine out time. It's like, right, oh, okay, right. I'll, I'll see you again. The one at Bewley, never seen that. Never been there when I've been there. Oh, disappointing. I've never seen one moving, but I've seen the one at Haynes, yeah, numerous times. I saw one at the NEC when I was, it's, like I said, it must have been a good few years after they were actually released because it was, was it 88, 89 that the concept mm. was at That's the right. show? Yeah. And then it was about 91, 92 when they actually came out. It was a long and, time, wasn't it? It had a long yeah. development time. And then it, there were a number of key statistics that they didn't manage to achieve. Well, that's it. No, no V12, no four-wheel drive. No speed living up to its name. It wouldn't do 220 miles an hour, would it? So, Well, what did they get? They got Martin Brundle to do it, didn't they, at the Nardo test track in Italy, and they took the catalytic converters off and got it up to 217, I think. <laughs> but not exactly a stock production car. No. <laughs> up to that speed. Not the one that people could actually buy. No. Yeah. That's correct. No, but that's, again, that's classic Jaguar, though, isn't it? <laughs> Close enough. Only three off. No one left. Yeah, nearly got it there. But they had the same debate with the E-Type, didn't they? The original E-Type, that the the production, the the figures that they released for it were nowhere near what it would actually achieve mm. when it was delivered to customers. And there was some argument that they they used a race engine or they you know they did things to it that uh, got it up to some silly speed and they they ran it up the m1 at three o'clock in the morning on a sunday or something because that was the only place they could do it and uh, achieved the the speeds and things but no production car no production version of it could get anywhere near that Um, i've read that as well yeah it's it's a bit like that but aston martin did the same thing with the db5 that couldn't get anywhere near the specifications that they claimed either so they're all guilty of it then. Who's going to check? Yeah, exactly. We were talking, as we often do recently, uh, about the various Aston Martin DB5s that uh, Mr. Bond has driven over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we commented that the one in Goldeneye um, wore different, slightly different number plate. Yes, it did. Yeah, and we, we had a little chat about that. We did. Very pleasant it was too. BMT two one four A, as opposed to BMT two one six A on the original. Well, built-in champagne cooler, as I recall, with built-in champagne cooler, but no other um, discernible gadgets. Um, no. But it did manage to keep up with the Ferrari, um, which was not at all contrived. Oh, hang on, you say no discernible gadgets, but it did have a. CD player that would do a little printout for him. 
Oh, I stand corrected. You're quite right. Yes, Money Penny could send him a fax. Yes, you're quite well, right. Trust you'll stay on the top of things. Oh, my word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to go there, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. Uh, Couldn't be out. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. With reference specifically to the number plate of that car, BMT 214A, mm -hmm. I noticed something the other day whilst um, uh, doing a little unrelated research on the BMW uh, 7 Series. And the BMW, well, what was badged as a BMW 750 IL in Tomorrow Never Dies, the next film, Although there, I believe there is some question over whether it really was a 750. Oh, some people say it was a 740, don't they? Or yeah, a, I don't a, a know. 735. It was one of the V8s, because there were quite a few V8 engines in that particular one. Yes, indeed. I, I don't know. It was certainly badged and billed as a 750 IL. Right, um, I think Q leads into your 750. Yes, <laughs> indeed. I mean, there was horrific product placement going on there. Um <laughs> And the uh, the stern German voice telling him what to do all the time, um, and the driving it from the phone and all that kind of ah, stuff. Ah, yes, all that good stuff. However, there was a little detail about that car, which um, I only recently noticed. I may have noticed it at the time, but I don't recall. Is it the is it the plate again, but just it, ever so slightly different? It is the plate. Uh, it's on German plates, but it's BMT 2144. That's it, yes, that's right. Yeah. Only noticed that recently, and it I just, oh, that's a lovely little detail. Because the DB5 is briefly in that film, in Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, yes, um, right at the beginning. Because right at the beginning. Because he starts off at Oxford, doesn't he, with his uh, brushing up on Little Danish. That's indeed being a, a cunning linguist. Yes, that's right. Oh, because it sounds like another word. Oh, it's rude. It's rude, I tell you. <laughs> um, and the DB5 is parked outside, and then you see it briefly when he's driving to MI6. Mm -hmm. um, so it is there. But yes, the, the registration plate of the of the Beamer is, uh, is BMT2144. A nice little touch, I thought. Yes, definitely, because it, it it very much singles out Brosnan, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I was thinking about that car because it gets it gets knocked a lot. I don't mean in the story, obviously, it, it gets smashed to thoroughly twatted. Yes, <laughs> that. Um, but you know, oh, it's not very Bond, and they've put Bond in a sales rep saloon, and you know all that kind of stuff. But he was undercover as a German businessman. So it kind of fits. Ah, um, yes, he was a banker. You, he, was a, he, he was a banker, indeed, a German banker. So if you look at it in the context of the story, actually, the BMW 7 Series was perfect. And you couldn't argue that that was the rep one, the top of the no, rate, you no, you wrong wheelbase. No, 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 that was the chief executive's car. It certainly mm. wasn't the sales rep's car. That would have been a 3 or a 5 Series. So, no, absolutely. I think it was fine. The other BMs that he uses are perhaps a little bit more questionable. The Z3 Z can do one, if I'm honest. 
The Z3 can do one. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the Z8 I've got a bit of time for because that wasn't that wasn't mass market, really. It wasn't mass market. I mean, nothing really happens to it other than it gets sawn in half. He doesn't do anything with it, does he? Um, no, it's, it's fairly uneventful. Yeah, it is. I mean, the best thing about that scene is um, Robbie Coltrane's um, Silver Shadow ending up in the in the sea. <laughs> Deeply Excellent unfortunate. character. Excellent character, yes, absolutely. Superb. Um, and, and when you look back, there's that little bit in there where the uh, Stand By Your Man rendition in the lovely yes. accents but from you look at mini it driver. Go, yeah. that's mini driver what is she doing that yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely and that wonderful line where bond holds his gun up to his head and he says um no wolfer ppk only three men i know use such a gun i believe i have killed two of them <laughs> oh yeah lucky me <laughs> Lucky not. me, that's right. <laughs> I think not. <laughs> yeah, wonderful, uh, mm. wonderful movie. Um, and yeah, the, but it, it was a shame in some ways that the, the Brosnan era went BMW, not to say that they weren't good cars, but I don't think they were quite right. But it's interesting when we look back on them, I would argue that the 7 Series was the strongest of the three. Yeah. Definitely. Well, they certainly it played a stronger part in the story. It was a, it was it's the only car of those three I would be interested in owning. That's exactly um, what I was going to say. It, it the yeah. desire for the out of the three cars is for that one. I couldn't really give a yes. toss about the other two. No, I agree entirely. I would I would reasonably happily have a seven series of that era. And again, I, they're quite cool. I thought, and it played, uh, and you know, it was a nice scene. There are some quite good cars, actually, in the multi-story car park. If you watch that sequence, there's some quite interesting stuff. Um, there is. There's a lovely one that you can trace back to Goldeneye in there as well. Oh, do tell. Uh, in, uh, in the multi-story car park, there is a Renault Fuego that gets utterly ruined. Uh, <laughs> well, most things in there get utterly ruined, yes. Yes, uh, but that one in particular... You can see that on the streets of St. Petersburg during the tank scene in uh, Goldeneye. Was it from the stock of stunt cars? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the same car. Right, because there was a Fuego in A View to a Kill. Oh, uh, Jenny Flex. Had Jenny the, Flex drives a red one. red one, yeah. yeah. No, the, uh, the one from uh, Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies was a silver one. Oh, interesting. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Yes, that's very pervy. I like that. <laughs> there's, there's also a Volvo 240 Estate, which gets mullered. And there's a Ford Scorpio, but before it became the Scorpio, when it was still the Granada Scorpio. Oh, yes. The roundy, right. Sierra-y looking one. Yes, you are correct. I know, the, I know exactly too. the one you mean. Yes, there's one of those in there too. And I believe... One of the cars that gets its windscreen shattered when the the BMW cuts through the steel cable, get through when the BMW badge rises up at the front and it's got mm. little spinny cutters, um, is a, a bread van polo. Oh, very good spot. What else was in there that leaps to mind was the uh, 
original, the Mark One Seat Ibiza. Oh, okay. I don't recall that. That's that. That's that I think that's parked next to the Volvo because that is in the bit where uh, the guy lines up with the rocket launcher. I think you can see it over his shoulder. Ah, uh, could be right. Yeah, you could be right. It's a good mix of cars in there. Yeah, there are some lovely treats in there. Yeah, there are. You have a poke around in there. That's that's yeah, that's good stuff. That's a nice sequence, actually. I thought it worked well. I thought the music was good. Ah, it's interesting you comment on the music. Mm. Because Propeller Heads, I believe. Yes, I think you're right on that sense. But in terms of the movie overall, was that the first time that David Arnold took the reins for the music. Yes, it was. Yes, so that, that's that's indeed. where it really came into his own. He does a fantastic job. He does. He was a huge fan of John Barry's, and he'd spent the last two years producing his own Bond-inspired album, Shaken and Stirred. I don't know if you've that was it. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I've got that. Yeah, I bought that at the time, um, mm. and it it's a brilliant album. And that I think somebody sent a copy. He didn't, but somebody sent a copy to. Barbara Broccoli and um yeah she thought it was yeah spot on they said yeah let's get this guy in because this mm. is this is really good very true to what John Barry had started but but with a real modern twist to it yes um, I thought that worked really well really well and he was such a huge Bond fan as well which helped yeah and um, it, it, he was it, so happy to be working on the Bond films it just shows I mean all the music about that film was really good I mean, I it was know... a shame they didn't let him. They didn't let him use his title song. Oh yes, because that was uh, what was it called? Surrender. Surrender um, with Katie, Katie Lang. Lang. Yeah, it Which... appears across the film's end credits. Yeah, and it's it's obviously on the album, but yeah, it was obviously Cheryl Crow that did the. Yeah, but the Cheryl Crow track doesn't fit with the rest of the score, whereas Surrender does. Because mm. it was written to be the title song, and apparently they thought, well, Katie Lang's not as commercially successful. We better go with someone who's going to sell singles, and they chose Cheryl Crow. But and Cheryl Crow apparently didn't want to do anything particularly Bondy because she didn't want her fans to think she was changing her direction, which I thought was a slightly arrogant attitude to take to it. Um, I mean, you're doing a Bond theme. I mean, it's you know, but especially when you listen to it, because. It doesn't sound like a Cheryl Crow song. It does sound like a Bond song. <laughs> I know. That's the thing, isn't it? It no, doesn't... I, it... I don't mind it as a song. It's absolutely fine. It um, is. It's not my favourite. Um no. But I think the Katie Lang track fitted better. It, it was more classically Bond. Mm. You could almost hear um, Shirley Bassey singing it. Yes. So that yeah. was a, a bit of a shame, but... Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I always rated that song. So, it is. It's really good. It is really good, and at least it's there. But it... yeah, that that's it. It didn't get omitted completely. I mean, and then for the following film, I thought that was an incredibly strong song. The, oh, the garbage one. Yeah, one of the best. Mm. One of the best. Have you seen the music video for that? That's tremendous. Yes, very yeah. good. Really strong. It's a strong film, actually. Mm. All of it. Um, it works really well. We got Robbie Coltrane back. Even got... Goldie works in that. <laughs> Even Goldie, yes. Mm. It does work. It's a strong cast. It's a proper story. Lots of Judy Dench. You can't go wrong there. 
Actually, the cars in that film are quite forgettable. It's not a big car bond film, is it? He's got he's got the Beamer, and there's some Land Rovers, and that's about it. Yes, that, that isn't much really... car action in that one, actually. No, but I mean, you 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 just don't notice, do you? It's it's that good. You don't. No, it doesn't matter. No, not at all. Not I remember at all. the f- good good one. Just... That knocking down the cinema door to get in to see that because it was around that sort of era the internet was coming into its own and there'd been yes. so much hype and so much 1999 teased. yeah and and that the the title sequence the well the credit sequence um mm. i don't know if it's still is it still the longest one because it was at the time. I don't know if it's been superseded mm. now. But I don't. Good think. question. I think. Well, of course, the the first, the first three Daniel Craig films didn't have a pre-title sequence because they didn't. Well, they did, but they didn't start with a gun barrel. Um, mm. So the beginning. Yeah, no, they did have pre-title sequences. So some of those are quite long. They it was the long. longest at that point. Yes. Yeah, I, don't know if I it still is. I still yeah. question whether it might be the longest now because it was just so good. Yeah, it was good. Um, in fact, there are a couple of car treats in that opening sequence when he's uh, in his uh, cue boat mm-hmm. and he um, comes up out of the water and crashes but, down on the road and slides through the market. That's it, yes. Um, first of all, we have two guys putting um, a wheel clamp on a Ford Escort Mark Five, I think. Yes, you it's five or six, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it I was the that, it yep. was the late the very late one. It was the mm. end of the escort by that point because the mm. focus came out in two thousand. So, end of the um, no, it didn't escort. Oh no, it didn't. Focus was ninety seven, but they kept making the escort for a little while because they were very nervous. Yeah, I'm just going to check that because we'd yep. hate to better be, add. But we'd hate to be wrong. Ninety eight. I was very close. Oh, that's okay. But the, you have to let, let me have that. Yeah. Absolutely fine. <laughs> to let me have that. Yes, indeed. But they kept making a few run-out editions of the Escort even after they'd launched the Focus because mm. they the Focus was so different and so radical at the time, they weren't entirely sure. So they wanted to just keep the Escort around just in <laughs> case. Hedge their bets a little, yep. And I had one of those last Escorts. Did indeed. I did indeed. One of the final models. But uh, so there was an escort and one of the police. Well, there's two police cars that chase him through the market. How they got there that quickly, I, I don't know. But one of them is a Vauxhall Amiga. Yes, that is correct. Yep, I remember. And the other one's a Rover 800. <laughs> I'm holding both full, the cartridge. Both full jam sandwich with the lights and all the decals and everything. But. Mm. Um, I have driven an Amiga for quite some distance because the, the company I worked for uh, in those days, in the 90s, um, had Amigas as company cars, and I had to drive one to London and back. So I've spent spent some time behind the wheel of an Amiga. Okay. Any good? It was very Vauxhall in that it felt quite solid. Mm-hmm. You know, tons of black, cheap black plastic. But yeah, it felt quite solid and quite 
sort of you know almost rugged i I quite liked it actually i'm not okay. a huge Vauxhall fan i never have been but i i quite liked that car and again it's another one that's come be quite um come become quite if i could talk if it could become quite <laughs> cool and collectible these days yeah that's it it really has that yeah you have those the senator and the cult and they're very oh yeah we're Absolutely. all um, wistfully thinking about those. So I, yeah, I have spent some time in an Amiga, and yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. I thought it was quite good. It was a saloon, not the estate, uh, but it was yeah, quite solid. I thought nicer than the Vectra that followed it. Ugh. And I've driven a few Vectras as well, because uh, again, the, a later company I worked for had Vectras as company cars, and they were, yeah, they were less nice. Mm. Yeah, unamused. Uh, I think most people were unamused by the Vectra. <laughs> yes, indeed. I, I recall um, Mr. Clarkson's famous review of the uh, Vectra VXR, the really oh, yeah. hyper nutter turbo powerful one, mm. but it was still front wheel drive. Oh, God, yes. All of the talk still, wasn't and it? One of his classic lines when he was out on the track with it and he was talking about the catastrophic understeer. <laughs> and he got it on full lock, and it was still proceeding in a straight line. <laughs> and he said, and this steering wheel operates in an advisory capacity. <laughs> yep, spot on, really. Spot on, <laughs> yes. It was just so much power going through the front wheels that it just couldn't handle it. <laughs> But um, yes, the Vectra was was not uh, uh, not a sterling piece, as they say. But um, no, I didn't mind the Amiga. But yes, one of the police cars that is in pursuit of Bond is is an Amiga. Yes, I do remember it. Now you now you say and you think, yeah, that even even sort of trying to think back in my head, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and still say that is longer sequence than any of the Daniel Craig stuff. You might be right. Shall I do some quick research? Yes, please do. I mean, yes. and you got to think as well. It wasn't, it wasn't hugely dialogue heavy either. No, not at all. It was not at all. It was quite action packed. I mean, obviously you've got the start at um, MI6, then it's just yes. carnage unfolds. You get right to the climax of it, and I can protect you and. Not from it is. Him. Don't blow us up. Yeah, it is. It is a wonderful pre-title sequence, and we even got a little bit of M's office in it, which is unheard of for a pre-title. Um, mm. Although he did, there is a brief shot of M's office in the pre-title sequence of. Um, uh, no, there is. There's a brief shot. Yes, right at the beginning of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but oh, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not in the TV version. It was always cut on TV. I've no yes. idea why, but on the full yeah. version of it, uh, you can. It starts in M's office. That's right. That is, yeah, spot on. Yes. Just, yeah, like you say, I've I've noticed that on the, the odd occasion where it's cropped up on TV. I think, well, of all the things to cut, why have you done that? Yeah, on Her Majesty's Secret Service is always really badly cut on television. Um, I suppose it comes down to length because. Was quite a long film. It's a long film, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you are indeed correct. The world is not enough. Does have the longest pre-title sequence at fourteen minutes and five seconds. Oh, and it, it's a very rewarding sequence as well. But it is rumoured that No Time to Die has a longer one. 
<sighs> we of course don't know. Um, better be good. Better be good. Um, they've steadily got longer. I mean, if you look at the list, actually, the films um, are m- more or less in chronological order. There's a few aberrations. But uh, Die Another Day is the next longest. Yeah, I suppose that is quite a long one. Though. The trouble yeah. is, I, I just I don't rewatch it often enough for it to be... No, it's not one of my favourites, but that's the one, of course, that starts in North Korea. Mm. Um, it's quite a good pre-title sequence, actually, Die Another Day. Um, it's sort of better than the rest of the film, dare I say. Um... Yes, I know what, exactly what you mean. And you yeah. think, actually, when I look back, it's probably the film I've been to the cinema to see the most. Ah, uh, yeah, that's probably true for me as well. Although I did see, I think I did see Skyfall about four times <laughs> with different people. Yeah, because they're different groups of friends that were going. Is oh yeah, I'll come. <laughs> Sky, Skyfall was what that did for that did so much for Bond films in general. With Gloria, it's actually, I would say, it's probably my favourite after On Her Majesty's. It just it's, it it's works tremendous so well. It's tremendous. It works on every level. It really does. Good car action in Skyfall too. Mm, yeah, this is true. Very good car action. We've got by Jaguar Land Rover. <laughs> yes, lots of that. Yes, I know all the police are driving discoveries, and yes, it's uh, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Absolutely no problem. Um, and uh, M's Jaguar, uh, M's Jaguar XJL features quite heavily. It does. Uh, but I have Don't to you say, recognise the car? Just get out of the way. <laughs> I have to say, in terms of her choice of vehicle, I do like to uh, hark back to Tomorrow Never Dies with the Daimler. The, <laughs> the, the Daimler limousine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That that was heavy duty. Yes, that was tremendous. They're being flung about in that thing. There was, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? Mm. It's not exactly stealthy either for the no. head of Secret Service. Just but ah, here's one. Do you know which film Bond travels in one of those again? Oh, ah. God, right. I'm, I'm, I'm delving into the brain cells. Eee, got you there. Oh God, right. Come on, brain. <laughs> Don't let me down. <laughs> I'll give you a minute. Talk amongst yourself, listener. Oh, oh good heavens! No, come on, listeners. Work with me. <laughs> Yell the answer at me. Living Send him daylight. the vibes. <laughs> living, living daylights. daylights. Uh, no. Was it not? It was not. Are there you... was one. Oh, there was, I agree. Hang on, there was, oh, was Bond in wasn't in it. Oh, Bond, minist- what was it? The, min- the Ministry of Defence um, arrives in one at the Bladen safe house in The Living Daylights, but Bond never travels in it because Bond's got his Aston there. Oh, of course. Oh, so yes, because he not- turns up, but it hasn't been winterized yet. Exactly. <laughs> so we're just winterizing this. Yes, that's right. So Bond turns up in the um, convertible um, V8 Volante, and there is a Daimler that, yes, turns up with the Ministry of Defence in it, and I believe you see it... Actually, I don't think you see it arriving, you see it leaving. Hang on, hang on. But that's yeah, not... That's, Bond that's... never goes in it. There's another sequence in which Bond travels in one. Good heavens. Right, come on. I, th- I thought I'd peaked there. Um, <laughs> You're right, it's there. But it's Bond... there. Yeah. 
No, all right, I'm going to have another stab. Okay. I am going to say, and this probably gets shot down again, go, no, <laughs> stop getting Bond wrong. <laughs> Casino Royale. Correct. It transports them, as I recall, from the train station to the hotel. Correct. That is correct. Oh, God, Bond. redeemed myself. Yes. Bond and uh, Vesper travel in it, yes. And they're going through their cover story Mm. whilst in it, yes. That's right, yes. Well done. That film is heavily Jaguar Land Rover. Heavily. It's all over the place. You cannot count the number of XJs that are in there. They are everywhere. (laughs) There's more in that than there are on the road. (laughs) I know. There was, yes, they were all there. Every sequence. XJs, Range Rovers, S-Types, it's just everywhere. That car park at the hotel in Nassau. <laughs> yes. Every, every single space. XJ, Range Rover Sport, S-Type, X-Type, another Range Rover, full-sized Range Rover. It's every space. Honestly. They, they were not holding back. Every model the company made was there you can forgive them for that because i mean you could almost like you say we could you could trace back the reboot to that film oh absolutely that's where it started yeah absolutely and and so good i remember going to the cinema to see that going i just i really don't know what to expect no and i was absolutely blown away Mm. absolutely blown away i thought this is yeah, best and Bond I, film ever made. Yeah, uh, and it, it well, that's it. it. It blew everyone's socks off. Yeah, and, and there'd been so much negative press about Daniel Craig, so mm. much, um, so many stupid remarks from from the press. Yeah, um, he's not got the right colour hair. Yeah, so well done, Dickhead. Thank you for that. But yes, yeah, very constructive. But a lot of people in the industry thought it was a mistake. I mean, even Sam Mendes, who of course went on to direct a number of Bonds, has said that at the time he thought it was a colossal mistake. He thought, I don't think he's Bond, and I think it's wrong for his career. Um, I mean, that just shows you the the level of yes. misunderstanding of what Barbara Broccoli was trying to do with it. Mm. Um, and you know, for all the missteps that have happened in in Bond over the decades, um, that was not one of them. That that was inspired casting. Yes, it it really was. It was the the casting was excellent. The 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 nods to the past, the sort of reintroduction of Felix. Mm. It was all very. Very I well done. Because they'd never been able to film Casino Royale, they'd never been able to get the rights to it, and it was the one story that Cubby always wanted to do, mm. and they could never get it. And after decades of battling in court to get the rights to it, they were finally awarded it. And I think Barbara just thought, well, if there's any film that we can't afford to mess up, it's this one. We mm. so need to get this right. And I think they did. They assembled a fantastic team. Martin Campbell directing, who previously directed Goldeneye. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was spot on. It really was. There I wasn't think... a weak part in it. Um, no, there wasn't. There's one bit that grates me slightly. <laughs> Which Not we've... the destruction of the Aston DBS. 
No, no, not even that bit. <laughs> okay. it, it, we it, should talk about that. Oh, <laughs> it's it's the bit that I think we may have mentioned it before, or we've mentioned it in an entirely non-podcast scenario. <laughs> and it's the it's the wrong card game. Yeah, yeah. We have touched on that. I don't know if we were recording, but yeah, it yeah, it is. Texas Hold'em poker. No, it should no. be it should be Shaman Fair. It should. It was in the book. Mm. And it, it should be if we look back through all the times we see Bond in a casino. Yeah, it should. I mean, sometimes the game is a bit nondescript. You don't quite know what he's playing. But um... Actually, there's, there is one point where Bond is in the casino in License to Kill. He's playing Blackjack there. Very good. <laughs> Very good. And it's Shaman Defer in Doctor No. Doctor No, uh, Shamanda Fair in Thunderball. Uh, and Goldeneye. Goldeneye, for your eyes only. Uh, yep. It is, with uh, the late Mrs. Brosnan. Yeah, no, it is the wrong game. I don't know why they chose that. Maybe, I don't know, make it more accessible to the American market. I don't know. Or maybe to tie up with some merchandising. Who knows? Um, uh, maybe. I'd certainly yeah. buy the Casino Royale-themed pack of cards uh, i did you, you know there would have been <laughs> you've I, got I, it haven't you i have i did i did i did did, I did. oh my god have you got the poker chips yes <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm weak <laughs> no no it's fine as long as it's presented beautifully <laughs> i don't know where they are actually oh they're on the shelf over there um <laughs> have you ever used them yes excellent that's all right we had a poker night not long after the film came out. And it turns out I'm no good. So I need more practice. <laughs> See, I, I, I quite like Texas Hold'em as a game because it's quite fast-paced. Yes, which again is wrong for the film because it's, mm. it's edited that it's really slow. Mm. And it takes ages to get through it. So, I mean, they're at it for hours, aren't they? So That's it. I mean, if it was going to be poker, it should be traditional five-card poker. Yeah, I don't know why that was chosen. Well, if the, we have an um, opportunity for a conversation, we'll ask them. We'll, we'll, yeah. When we get Barbara on, mm. um, I mean, it's only going to be a matter of weeks. Yeah, surely. obviously, um, obviously. Obviously. Because um, she loves to talk about crap old cars. Um, <laughs> but the destruction of the DBS. Yes. Are you, are you talking about its reluctance to flip over? I am. <laughs> yes, I, I am indeed. Well, I'm, yes. There's a... I was going to compare it to the sequence in the book, which is um, absolutely magnificent. I mean, in the book, it's a Bentley. Mm. Um, Bond always drives, a, well, he doesn't always, but he drives a Bentley in, in a number of the books. If you read the chapter in the book, I mean, you can see what a good writer Fleming was and actually what a petrol head he was. The, the description of the car rolling over mm. in the book is just tremendous. Mm. Um, where he describes its, what does he say? It's when it rears up, and it's it's Lucas headlights search the sky, uh, you know, and things like that. It's just you know, and it um, it's wasted on some. It it hits the tarmac with a splintering of glass and coachwork and things like that. Mm. It's just wonderful descriptive writing. It was you know you really. You really, actually, I don't think it was in that book. I think that particular sequence was in Moonraker in, in the book. 
Um, mm. But you know, the 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 point stands that it, it's you know his 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 description of a car crash was absolutely yeah. incredible. But yes, the the fact that they when testing that sequence, I believe they were using BMW three series, and they would flip at the drop of a hat, and then they got the Aston, and they couldn't make it roll no matter what they did to it, no matter how steep a ramp they drove it into, no matter how fast they they hit the ramp, it just would not flip over. It just landed back on its wheels again in a completely undramatic way. Yeah, it's unglamorous for, the, for that particular moment. So they had to ironically take the passenger seat out and fit it with an air cannon, which would fire a piston into the tarmac, thus flipping the car. That's uh, it. And the stunt driver had the button to, so they could do it at precisely the right moment and in the process they managed to set a world record didn't they they did they did they beat top gear i believe who had the previous record with a ford sierra estate i think they got five rolls and the aston Mm. did six but if you look at that sequence you can see the remains of the air cannon hanging out the bottom of the car as it rolls over (laughs) you can see it flapping about it's very difficult to edit that in post. Not a lot you can do with that, but it, it works nonetheless. But that was the only way they could get it to roll. And no matter how hard they hit the ramp, no matter how steep the angle, it wouldn't go over. It's a good centre of gravity in those Aston. Yeah, it's impressive. But it, it the, the BMWs they were testing it with would flip at the drop of a hat, so it lulled them into a false sense of security. <laughs> oh, this is going to be easy. <laughs> Well, I think uh, that's probably enough of that for this week. Uh, Check us out on uh, all the various social medias and things. Uh, Thank you very much for listening.